This morning we'll be in Psalm 77. We've said this before on several of the Psalms we've looked at together, but they don't always fit into one specific genre. They cover different ones, and this is another. It could be lament, and I'll show you towards the end why I think it fits in the historical category, but really you wouldn't be wrong to put it in either category. Let me propose something to you this morning before we read the text. Let me propose to you that time doesn't always move at the same speed. I hear some laughter. <laughs> uh, I think as we get older, we recognize that probably a little bit more. When we're kids, getting from one birthday to the next felt like an eternity. But as, as we get older, we start to think, wait a second. I just had a birthday. It just happened. It can't be here again already. It just doesn't make any sense. Time doesn't always move at the same pace, it seems. No matter how old that you are, I think I can prove it with just this idea. Okay? Think back, if you would, to the last really boring thing you had to sit through. And hopefully you're not thinking it's right now. But <laughs> just think back to the really boring thing that you, you know, or last Sunday, thank you, wife, for the encouragement. When you're bored and you keep looking at your watch or your phone or whatever, like time just moves so slow. You would swear that there are way more than 60 minutes in an hour when you're bored. But I think the old saying rings true. When you're having fun, time flies. You just get lost in what you're doing and you look down and you're like, whoa, four hours have gone by or whatever the case might be. Time doesn't seem to always move at quite the same pace. And maybe you're not much like me. Maybe you are. But have you ever had nights when you just couldn't get something out of your head and it caused you to lose some sleep? Kept you awake at night? This doesn't happen to me all that often, but at times it has. Something woke me up in the middle of the night or I, I couldn't fall back asleep because I just kept thinking about it. Some nights, I think when that happens, it's a result of, I don't know, maybe something that we ate. But most of the time, it has to do with two different things. Number one, we're worrying about something that happened in the past. Man, I should have handled that situation better. I should have said those words differently. I should have said this instead. And we think back about some past mistake that we did or something that we said, some underlying bitterness maybe that's caught up in our hearts. Sometimes when we lie awake at night, it's because of thinking of the past. And sometimes it's because we're worried about the future. We know we've got some difficult conversation that we have to have with somebody. And we just we don't want to do it. And so it keeps us up. It bothers us so that we can't sleep. Maybe it's just kind of the what-ifs of life. Maybe the what-ifs of what might happen with our nation. Maybe it's the uncertainty of the lives of our own kids that keeps us up at night. I suspect that no matter how old you are, you've been there to some degree. At some point, maybe you've had a test that you weren't quite studied up for, that you're not real confident in the next day, and you're kind of lying awake at night worrying about it. That's not an easy place to be, but I think there's something significant happening 
in those moments. And I think it's this. When we lie awake at bed, in bed, or we're pacing the floor at 3 a.m. in the dark, I think what's significant is that the object of our faith is being revealed. What we really believe is being unearthed in those moments, kind of like the brushes of an archaeologist who gently sweeps away the dirt to reveal the bone underneath the concerns of my life uncover the foundations of my faith. And they uncover the foundations of your faith. So when questions abound and darkness seems to start to settle in all around us, where we turn for answers reveals an awful lot. When fear and doubt assail, when anxieties are revealed, when your mind is overwhelmed, what does your soul cling to? On those sleepless nights of worry, time seems to go by really slowly. This is where Psalm 77 comes in. Comes alongside of us in moments like this, almost like an interpreter who takes the sometimes difficult language of biblical truth and helps us to understand it correctly. And so let's read Psalm 77 together. I cry aloud to to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the long The years long ago, I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I'll, I'll say, then I said, I'll appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might amongst the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled and shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Would you pray with me? Lord, would you lead us like a flock by your hand with your word today? Lord, we don't like talking about lament and about trouble. And so we need your spirit here to inform us in this because the reality is 
we all endure this kind of thing. We all experience it to some degree or another. Some of us in greater measure than others. And we need you to speak truth into those dark 3 a.m. mornings when we don't know where to turn, when all of our earthly wisdom is failing us and we have no idea what to do. We need to recollect and remember the things that the psalmist here explains. And so I pray that you would help us see you clearer in this and how we can respond in a way that brings glory to you and encourages us to follow Christ more. In his name we pray, amen. Lament is not a topic that you're going to hear at most churches. You go to any random church on any given Sunday and you're probably going to hear a message that is designed to be encouraging and to lift you up. But the reality is, more than half of the Psalms are Psalms of lament. And these are songs that are designed to be sung, a lot of them, most of them. And so I would encourage you, if you're having a, I mean, the sun is shining, it is a beautiful spring morning, and you, your heart may not feel heavy today, and I would praise God for that. But there's a good chance at some point in the near future, your heart will be heavy, and you're going to need to remember the things that Psalm 77 mentions. And so I'd encourage you to not set aside this psalm because maybe it doesn't match quite your emotions for the day. But let's plan ahead and see what God would have for us, even in the good days. The first two verses of Psalm 77 are so simple, and yet they're so deep. They're so insightful. They're simple because they make complete sense to us, right? When, when you're distraught, you cry out for help. You, this is a natural response for every person, and all you have to do is watch a kid for a few minutes. They get hurt, they cry for their caregiver. They're in a, they, they don't understand something, they don't know what to do, they cry out for someone who cares for them. Okay? We cry out for help. This comes naturally. But here's why I think it's so insightful as well as being so simple. A lot of the time, we don't cry out to the right person. Here's, here's what I mean. Um, but don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm going to be the guy that encourages you and reminds you that God has saved you out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light, out of solitude, and into a family, a church, into the body of Christ. The people of God are a treasure for us, and we should never take that lightly or treat the people of God with contempt but if you, if, if the people of God, if your church really loves you, they're going to use God's word to direct you back to what he has said and back to who he is. They're not going to, to direct you to a common television show that might give you earthly advice or to another kind of publication that would help you figure out how to modify your behavior. They're going to direct you back to the word of God. If they really love you, that's what they're going to do. So moving on with Jason's illustration with the kids, if we were dropped into a dark room that we were unfamiliar with 
and none of us could see anything, we're not going to be running at full sprint to try to find a door or a light switch. What are you going to do? I mentioned a couple weeks ago, I'm kind of night blind. So in the dark, you're taking really short steps, right? You've got your hands out, you're feeling around because you don't want to fall down a flight of stairs or run into the fireplace or whatever else you could think of. You're going to go slow. You're going to be cautious because you don't want to get hurt or trip over anything. But here's the thing. If, if we're all in the same room, does it do me any good to cry out to you for help? It doesn't because you're no better off than I am. We're, we're all blinded, no light, and have no idea where we're at, where we're going, what we're doing. Now, it may help us a little bit to feel not quite so alone, but it doesn't help us get out of the dark room. We don't really need a companion to wander around in the darkness with. We need somebody with a light. We need somebody to guide us out of the darkness. So when darkness settles in, in our lives, and the path becomes unclear, the first thing we need to do to be sure of is to direct our cries for help to the right person, to God himself, the one who is always faithful, he's always right, he's always good. And I think this is why our theology, what we believe about God, is so important. What we think about God, what we think about his word, that stuff matters in the dark 3 a.m. mornings. Because if your view of God is low, and he's not the one that you cry out to first, you run to Google to you know, search your symptoms or whatever's going on in your life, or you run to a friend who's just going to tell you what you want to hear. If your view of God is very low, then his word's not going to matter all that much to you either. But if you believe that God holds the answers to even the hardest questions of life, then his words to you will mean a whole awful lot more In fact, they're going to mean more than anybody else's words. And if somebody loves you, that's where they're going to take you. And so when we direct our cries back to God, we can be confident, as Psalmist says here in verse 1, we can be confident that he will hear us. This is, I think, though, a challenge to believe sometimes. God really hears us. I think our, our own sin is a barrier to this at times. I think at other times it can be the result of things maybe outside of our control, of things that have happened to us. Sometimes it's just the enemy whispering lies into our ears, kind of like he did in the garden with Adam and Eve, whispering things like, did God really hear you? Does God really even exist? Maybe his plan for you was supposed to be something easier than what you're walking through now. Maybe he messed up. Maybe he doesn't really love you. Maybe none of this matters at all. Maybe your life doesn't matter. And the enemy whispers lies like that to us. And it makes it difficult to believe sometimes that God actually does hear and care. When those things happen and our lie and the darkness seems to kind of start piling up, we have to bind ourselves to the truth that endures beyond just our own personal circumstances. The truth here is not a new thing. 
It's not really an uncommon thing either. And as the psalmist is going to show, a recounting of God's faithfulness is the medicine that our souls need desperately and regularly. I think there's a pattern here. This is just kind of a side bonus note here. There's a pattern for in this psalm about how we can pray. It starts with just this honest plea to God for help. Lord, I cry aloud, right? We're, we're honestly crying to God who hears us. Then it moves to an admission of helplessness. Then he goes on to tackle some hard questions, but then concludes with remembering God's prior faithfulness. And so in times of trouble, I think this is a good model for us to use to pray. Look at verse 2 with me. This verse communicates something subtly that I don't want us to miss. It says, In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying, my soul refuses to be comforted. There may be times when our hands are stretched out to God in desperate need of being comforted, but no answer seems to come. Have you all been there? You, I mean, with everything in you, and you get nothing in return. I think many of us have. But I think there are also times when we, we may not admit it, but we don't really want to be comforted. That's harder to admit that we've been there. We like being angry. Maybe we like the bitterness that's in our hearts. We don't want to be comforted for those things. The summer after my sophomore year of college, I was a part of a group that went around to youth camps, me and three other guys uh, that I was friends with from college, and we would volunteer at the camps, teach small groups, lead the music a couple of times. And uh, about halfway through the summer, uh, three of the four of us got really sick, like really sick. Uh, One left camp early. He got six IVs before he ever had to use the bathroom. He was dehydrated. Uh, It was not good. I went home that week, and my neck was stiff. I felt terrible, and it got progressively worse, Um, so much so that I couldn't hardly get up off the couch, and I had to have a spinal tap to be tested for meningitis. They thought I had meningitis. Um, We were never diagnosed, but this was during the time of the West Nile virus, and all those symptoms were the same. And so I really think we had West Nile virus. So I'm sitting there on my couch at my home, my parents' home rather, and I didn't eat for days. I could hardly drink, hardly get up. Food tasted terrible, had no appetite, and water that I knew I needed was the last thing I wanted. You ever, have you ever had a sickness where you, it just tasted terrible? That's how I was. I, I did not want to drink even though, and here's where the connection comes in, guys. Even though I knew that I needed that, my body, my body needed nutrients. It needed water. I didn't want it. It tasted terrible. The very thing that usually brought energy in life, I didn't want. I wonder if we get there sometimes. We know what we need from the Lord. But it just doesn't, it doesn't taste good. And so we say, no, we refuse. And I, I wonder how often the key 
to our prison door is just laying right there in front of us. And instead, we hug our chains. Instead, we enjoy the darkness. Now, if that's you today, I just want you to know that the Lord hears, the Lord sees, and the Lord has a way for you to be set free. Look at verses 3 and 4. They continue describing the, the challenges to belief that affect many of us in these hard seasons. The psalmist says, when I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints or is overwhelmed. Isn't that a strange thing for a guy who knows and loves the Lord to say? When I remember the Lord, like remembering God is what causes the pain. Meditating on the word, meditating on the Lord is when his spirit faints. The things that normally bring comfort, the things that normally bring gladness now bring heartache and despair. And it's after a phrase like this that the psalmist, and maybe it's off to the side in your Bible, they use this word selah, selah. This is a musical term, and it means to pause, to stop, to take a breath, to slow down, to reflect maybe, to relax. The song, this is a psalm, this is a song. The song is about to start the second verse but it would do us well to pause and consider the implications of the first verse of what has just been said. When we do, I think we'll find that there's even comfort for us here. The psalmist's faith is shaken. Fear and anxiety were causing him to lose sleep. He says in verse 2, In the night my hand is stretched out without wearying, but the soul refuses to be comforted. Those are things that we can identify with, brothers and sisters. We can see that, and God in His goodness has included this in His Word. Asaph, the author of this psalm, he puts to words what many of us, I would say most of us just push down. <laughs> These emotions that come up at 3 a.m. in the dark, he's, we most of the time push them down. He's bringing them up. We push them down because we think, well, a good Christian wouldn't feel this way. We push him down because, well, you know, a strong person wouldn't be affected by this situation like I'm being affected. And so we push this stuff down instead of doing what the psalmist does and give it to the Lord. Instead of directing his cry to the one he knew could help, to the one he knew was listening. Because you are affected by the things of his life just like Asaph was, just like I am. And so God in his mercy has given us Psalm 77. And in doing what Asaph does here, he sees that the Lord's eyes, or I'm sorry, that the Lord holds his eyes open. Look at verse 4. This is interesting to me. He says, you hold my eyelids open. I'm so troubled that I cannot speak. See, sleep is actually a relief isn't it? It's a relief from the, the problems of this life. It's a relief from the difficulties of the pain that we may be in. So an interruption, this is an interruption to the stuff that just plagues our minds. And when God withholds sleep from us, a mercy like sleep is, surely he intends to teach us something. Perhaps like the psalmist, God intends for us to dig, dig deeper 
into who he is. Because there's a time to cry out in distress, but then as we see here in verse 4, there's a time just to stop talking to. He says, I'm so troubled I cannot speak. I can't even communicate it. He can't sleep, and now he can't even talk. He can't speak. What else is there to do but to consider, like he does in verse 5, to think deeply on these things? I think there's a caution right here for us, though. When the night is long and our minds are searching for something to cling to, what are we going to think deeply on? I think verses 7 through 9 help us to interpret and understand verse 6. His spirit made a diligent search. And he starts in verse 7 and he answers these questions. These are hard questions. Will the Lord spurn forever? Never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Have you ever thought these kinds of things before? Why, God? Why is this happening? Have you forgotten about your, you're supposed to be a loving God. Have you forgotten your compassion? But here's the thing. This isn't the time, those 3 a.m. moments when these things are running through your minds, that's not the time just to cycle through this playlist of our own personal experience. And it shouldn't be any surprise to us that when we do that, we just actually feel more anxious and more worried. Here, the end of verse 9, we have another pause, another chance to slow down and take a breath. Digging deep into our own experience usually just leaves us with more questions than answers. So instead, the psalmist in verse 10 says to do something different. He stops appealing to his own experience and instead appeals to the faithfulness of God. He says this, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. That's the alternative. Those dark moments is not to go back through your own experiences and feelings. While we shouldn't discredit those altogether, that's not what we ought to do. We ought to instead appeal to the faithfulness of God. And verses 11 through 15 are really the substance of the psalmist's confidence, what Asaph is confident about. He doesn't just generate this confidence from personal experience. He doesn't just grab it out of thin air either. Confidence is built by remembering the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Confidence in God is built by being reminded of what he has done and who he is. He says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work, meditate on your mighty deeds. He is a holy, great, mighty, and redeeming God, he says. And then we're pausing again. The end of verse 15. Wait here. Reflect on those things, brothers and sisters. Pause the story Pause the song here just for a bit and remember the greatness of God. How many of you all are hunters? When you get a new gun, what's really the first thing that you do? Do you take it straight on a hunt? Probably not. 
I mean, if it was really set up well, maybe. But you want to know for yourself that this thing is accurate, right? So you get you get some rounds, and you get a target out there, and you sight that firearm in so that you're accurate. You want a clean shot of the animal that you're going to take. So you don't just go willy-nilly and start firing this thing. You sight it in. My family and I have been playing video games a little bit more lately, and we got some new controllers for these video games. We bought one for one of the girls, and it did not work right. You would try to do one thing, and the button presses wouldn't work, and we didn't know what was going on. And so I found out that we needed to calibrate the controller. So here's my point. When we just can't seem to hit the mark and we keep messing it up, when something just doesn't seem to work like it should, it's possible, and I would say likely, that we need to recalibrate our souls back on what Psalm 77 is talking about. We need to recalibrate it on what God has done and on who God is. Charles Spurgeon said this, Fly back, my soul, away from present turmoil, to the grandeurs of history, the magnificent deeds of Jehovah, the Lord of hosts, for he is the same and is ready even now to defend his servants as in the days of old. Whatever else may drift into the past, the marvelous works of the Lord will not be forgotten. Memory, (laughs) memory is a fit handmaid for faith. When faith has its seven years of famine, history or memory like Joseph in Egypt, opens her granaries. When you, like Joseph, have seven years of famine, our memory, history of what God has done is going to open up the storehouses that should encourage us and feed us, even in the moment when our faith seems so tired and so difficult. And I think this is where this psalm turns kind of from lament to being a historical psalm. After pausing here at verse 15 and taking a deep breath, the psalmist goes even further with this remembrance in verses 16 through the end of the chapter, verse 20. And he references what I think is a specific instance of God's faithfulness. I think he says it, and look at verse 20 with me. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And just before that, backing up in several verses, he's talking about water and the seas You're probably making the connection. We talked about it. We sang about it in the song, the Jude doxology brought you through the Red Sea. Now, I think it's interesting that Asaph closes this psalm in verse 20 because verses 16 through 19, they talk about the water in really violent terms, doesn't he? The waters, it says, were afraid and trembled at the greatness of God. They poured out. They gave forth thunder Flashed arrows of lightning roared like a whirlwind. Even the whole earth trembled and shook at the greatness of God. And then we come to verse 19, and maybe we wish it wasn't there. Because verse 19 says, Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints, footprints were unseen. Did you catch it? The reason why many of us maybe don't want verse 19 to be there. God's path for his people was through the storm. It was through the waters that roared, the lightning that flashed. It says that your way was through that. God's way is through that. Does our view of God account for a verse like this? Does our theology handle something like this? That God 
And his plan might actually lead us through troubles? It should. Imagine being an Israelite walking through the Red Sea on dry land. There's an animated movie about Moses. And in it, I think it captures this scene really well. It's interesting. I don't know if you've ever seen this before. It's, it's worth viewing even for just this scene alone. But you can see the waters stacked up on both sides. And the Israelites were afraid. I mean, they were, they were walking through it. They were walking in obedience. But the lightning flashes and you can see the outline of this giant fish right there on the other side of this water. And you can tell they're afraid. It would be a difficult thing to continue walking through that water knowing that in just a moment, if God's hand stopped pushing it back, that they would be consumed and killed. There are days, brothers and sisters, when we feel like this. Like mighty waters are stacked up on both sides, ready to fall, ready to crush us at any moment. And if you feel that way, I pray that we can take comfort from verse 20. And again, it's very simple. It says, you led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. What a transition here from violence to calmness, from wrath to love as quietly And gently as a flock of sheep, Israel was being guided through the roaring sea by the human agents of God's choosing, Moses and Aaron. Now we know from history of Israel, and you know if you know anything about sheep, that it wasn't always peaceful. They ran around where they shouldn't. The shepherds had to run and grab them and break their legs sometimes. But even though God and his physical presence wasn't always seen, He was still leading them. That's what the end of verse 19 says. Your footprints were unseen. You may not see it, but God is still leading. If you are his, he is still leading. And like Asaph, we are learning to just pause and listen and remember who God is and what he's done. And I hope today that we're learning a new way to respond to the 3 a.m. bouts of worry and doubt and fear. Maybe you could even say that we're learning how to pray a new kind of prayer, sing a new kind of song in those moments. Author Paul Jewell says this, if we are to slay dragons of doubt and fear in the night, our churches and our families must become communities of remembrance throughout the day. Together we must meditate on the mighty deeds and everlasting faithfulness of the Father. We should recall the finished work of the Son on the cross, and we must hold fast to the powerful and life-giving work of the Spirit in our lives even today. And so I think it's with determined hearts that we close this psalm, not determined because of anything in ourselves that we have done it, but determined in God's faithfulness to lead us through whatever He sees as our path because we can remember His greatness and His worth. Again, Spurgeon says that this is the song of one who forgot how to speak and yet learned to sing far more sweetly than his fellows. My hope after hearing all of this today is that you would be comforted in knowing that if you've got these 3 a.m. bouts of sleeplessness and fear and doubt, you're not alone. But you don't need just a friend to walk with you in those moments. That does help, and there is a time for that, but that's not your greatest need. Your greatest need is a light, someone, the Father, to guide you to truth. May he do that in us today. 
May he lead us in those things today. I hope that the historical faithfulness of our great God is the song that soothes our weary souls in the dark of the night. If you've not put your faith in Christ, the dark nights won't just seem overwhelming to you. One day they will overwhelm you and you will have no hope. They will wash over you and you will be crushed in their wake. But that's not the only alternative. Instead, the Bible, God himself, is calling you to stop believing in your own strength to get you through those moments. To stop believing in your own wisdom, try to figure out how to get out of it, how to talk yourself off the ledge. God is calling you to trust in him through the deep waters, to put your faith in him alone, to leave the life of living for yourself and to seek after him and to pursue him and become like him. He wants to deliver you. He wants to pick you up. He wants to give you a new song to sing, but that can only come through salvation that's found in Jesus Christ alone. Don't look inward for help. Don't look back to your own experience for answers in the difficulties. Instead, going all the way back to verse one, cry out to God, to him alone. He's powerful. He's great. He can answer. He can help. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this message. I needed this message, Lord, to number one, know that this is a common ailment for the human. But more importantly to know, Lord, that though your footprints may be unseen, you still guide your people. You still guide us, Lord. And it's not around the trouble as we would so often like. Lord, for the most part, it is through the raging sea. Like the Israelites through the Red Sea, Lord, it is through that where we see your faithfulness. And so may we remember in those moments of of trial and heartache, Lord, not our own experience alone, God, but to look to you and your word and be encouraged and reminded and given confidence because of Jesus. Lord, I pray that our lives would be defined not by the difficulties, not by the 3 a.m. mornings of sleeplessness, Lord, but they'd be defined by our reliance on you. Work that in your people today. And Lord, if there's anyone who feels like they're ready to be crushed by the surrounding world, Lord, I pray that they would cry out to you. That they might come to the the fountain that never runs dry and drink deeply of your love. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.